Welcome to the Anchored Hope Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Today's series is Better Decisions, Part 3, The Conscious Question, featuring Michael Davis. Anyway, we're in a series called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets, and it's a book that I gave our graduates in May. Uh, it's a book by Andy Stanley, and it's a terrific book, and uh, I would love it if you'd pick it up, but even if you're not a big book reader, it's okay because we're going through question by question because there's five different questions that he says help us make better decisions and fewer regrets, and what we're talking about is that we decide our way into a preferred future, one decision at a time. It's all about deciding our way there. It's not good intentions. It's good decisions that get us to our preferred future. And so it's built on decision, on decision, on decision. And so the thing that we're learning is that good questions lead to good decisions. In order to make good decisions, you have to ask good questions. So we're looking at these five different questions that help us make better decisions and have fewer regrets. And so the first question that we talked about is the integrity question. And the integrity question is, is am I being honest with myself? Really? Because you are a sucker for you, and you have created some narratives that have justified some actions before. I mean, you've talked yourself into some bad decisions. You are your own worst enemy. I mean, if any of your friends ever lied to you as much as you've lied to you, you wouldn't trust them. And so you really should not trust your gut instinct. You really shouldn't trust yourself because you've got to stop and pause and look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I being honest with myself? Really? And then the second question that we talked about is the legacy question. This is what we talked about last week. What story do you want to tell? One day your life will be summed up in a story. What story do you want to tell? Do you want to be the hero of your story? Do you want to be the villain of your story? You know, a lot of times in life when we come to making a decision, we think in terms of options, right? Options are what we do when everything is kind of emotionally charged. But we talked about last week that we shouldn't think in terms of options. We should think about our story. And we told a great story that told that story. So don't just think about options. Don't think about your options. Think about your story. What story do you want to tell? And today, we're at the halfway point of this series. We're going to talk about the conscience question. And the conscience question is, is there a tension that deserves your attention? You ever come to that point where you are looking at your options or you've got to make decisions and, and you're looking at all the different things that you could possibly do and something just doesn't feel right? You, you even say that, right? Something doesn't feel right. I, I don't know. Something is off. And there's this tension. And it's this attention that just makes you pause. And it may even seem like, you know, if you look at the logistics of it, if you look at it like a math equation, you look at it practically, everything lines up. Everything seems good. Actually, it almost seems too good. I mean, it seems so good that you think, well, this is like God-ordained. This is God-blessed. This is what God wants me to do. Because look at, how, look at how obvious it is that this is what I'm supposed to do. But yet, even as good as it looks, even as good as it feels, there is something. There's something there that just you can't put your finger on it, but something feels off. That tension right there, that tension deserves your attention. And many of us, what we do is we, we refer to this as a red flag moment, right? Red flag, wait, hold on a minute, just a second here, something's off. 
You know, I remember before I came here, I was in Nebraska, and I was a youth pastor, and I was in line. To, it was like the Lion King. I was in line to take the throne from the, the senior pastor. But I, I, I felt like God was calling me to plant a church. So I started to kind of look for a church that wanted to plant. And so I went and interviewed and talked to a lot of pastors all over the Midwest. And I actually ended up interviewing in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. And so we, Kate and I, we went down to Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and we interviewed with the board, and everything went great. They were great. I did great. Um, they were nice. It was a good church, well-financed, tons of people. Um, everything, everything lined up. And just I, I left that meeting with a job offer. They, I, when I left that meeting, they said, we can't wait to work with you. They shook my hand. And then Kate and I, we went back to our hotel room. And I remember I called my dad, and he's like, you know, tell me about because my dad's a pastor too, and he's actually in Oklahoma now. So it would have been funny if I would have ended up in Bartlesville because we would have ended up living by each other. But anyway, uh, but I, I called my dad, and, and he he said, so how'd it go? And I said, well, the pay is good. The people's good. The church, are, the church is good. Uh, I think I'd be a good fit there. And he said, but. He said, I can feel a but coming on. And I said, well, Dad, I just don't know. There's, I just got this feeling inside of me. I just, there's something in me. I don't know. There's just something holding me back. And my dad, I remember him telling me, pay attention to that. Listen to that. Pay attention to that tension, because it means something, son. So you need to sit on this, and you need to pray about this, and you need to think about this. You need to let this bother you for a minute, okay? And so I did. But you know what? It's, it's really hard, right? I mean, it's hard. Whenever we do feel that tension, it's hard to give it attention. It's hard to hit pause. It's hard to go, hold on just, just a minute. I, I need to let this bother us. And one of the reasons is, is because man, we, are, we are always in a hurry, aren't we? I mean, decisions, 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 decisions. I even remember, I mean, it was the next day that Bartlesville called me and said, hey, so what do you think? What's it going to be? Yes or no? And I was like, ah, time out. I need time. Let me pray about this. They're like, well, what do you need? Like three days, 24 hours? What, what, what are we thinking here, right? And you, you and me, we're in the same boat. I mean, all the time in business, in relationships with our friends, it's, come on, what are we going to do? We're in a hurry. we got to make decisions. We're running out of time. Nobody's getting any younger. So we're always constantly put in this position where we have to, we're, we're pushed to make decisions. We're, we're pushed to look at our options and go, uh, that one, right? And many times because we hurry through that tension, we make a mistake. When we have regrets, Right? Because we, we, we didn't pay attention to the tension. We, we rushed through it. We hurried through it. We felt like, well, these are my only options, and I've got to make a choice now. And so we just we made a choice too quickly. The other thing is, is sometimes what bothers us, what bothers you, isn't bothering anyone else. You ever been in that boat? Sometimes what bother you, bothers you isn't bothering anybody else. Sometimes you feel that tension, but nobody else does. Sometimes you see that red flag moment and you think, oh, hold on, something's wrong here. And everybody else goes, there ain't nothing wrong here. This is perfect. This is great. It's very obvious what you should do. Of course you should do this. And nobody else sees and nobody else feels what you feel. So recently, story time, time to get the story bench. So recently, um, I had a neighbor. And mind you, I've lived in this neighborhood for nine years this neighbor and I have talked probably three times, okay? So we're not really friends. But I had a neighbor recently call me and uh, called the church 
number and left a voicemail and said, hey, this is, we'll call him Joe to protect his identity, but I really hope he's watching today. Anyway, so Joe calls the church line. He goes, hey, I just wanted to talk to Pastor Mike, and uh, I just wanted to talk to you about the biblical definition of a church and just wanted to sit down and have a chat. And I'm going, oh, boy, like so many red flags are going off in my head, like ding, 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 ding. My spidey sense is tingling, right? So anyway, he calls the church number, and he leaves this voicemail, and I don't call it back. And then he calls again about three weeks later, leaves the same voicemail, except for this time I'm listening to it in my living room, and my wife hears it. And she goes, are you going to call Joe back? You got to call Joe back. And I said, nah, I don't think I'm going to call Joe back, you know? She goes, oh, Why? Why wouldn't you do it? And I could talk about my wife all day because she's in the children's department. So anyway, she just, I'm sure Rhonda will catch her up after service like she always does. So anyway, I, yeah, no, yeah, just go ahead and phone her in while you're, while you're here. And so anyway, I, uh, I said, no, I'm not going to call him back. I mean, there's, this, is, this is not going to go well, Kate. And she goes, oh, how could it not? He's just, he's just a nice neighbor. He just, he just wants to have a conversation with you, you know? And I said, Kate, anytime somebody uses the word biblical, it just means they're trying to prove a point, okay? Trust me, I'm a pastor's kid and a pastor. Anybody says, well, the biblical, death, they're just trying to prove a point, okay? That's all they're trying to do. I don't think I should call this back. Trust me, sometimes it is worse to have a conversation than just to not have a conversation. So I am, I'm not going to call them back. And my wife, man, she just pounded me. I mean, she, we were driving to CrossFit, and she was like, you know, it's just, it's, it's the friendly, neighborly thing to do. I mean, what would Jesus do, you know? And, you know, you should do this. And so, I mean, you, you guys all know that my biggest weakness is that I'm too good of a husband. And, you know, I... And this guy, this guy does what the Bible says. I mean, husbands, submit to your wives. And so anyway, I called Joe back. And the conversation didn't go well. Um, I picked up the phone and by the way, I did this on my day off. Never do this on your day off, okay? And I called Joe, and I said, hey, Joe, what's going on? He goes, well, I just wanted to get together and talk to you about the, the biblical definition of a church. And uh, I said, okay, um, well, that's, that's really interesting. And uh, I said, well, what do you think the biblical definition is, Joe? And he goes, well, I just, here's the thing that's bothering me, Mike. He said, I just wanted you to know, I see everything that your church is doing in the community, and I just wanted you to know that the, that the Bible says that, that you're not supposed to take care of the community. See, the Bible clearly says that a church, that the church should take care of the church first, and that a pastor's job is to shepherd his flock, which would be your church members and your tithers. And so what I wanted you to know, I see all the stuff you guys are doing in your community, and I just want you to know it's a waste of time, and you're doing it all wrong. And uh, careful now, all right. But a little bit louder so Joe could hear you in the live feed. Um, so Joe said, I just want you to know, you guys are wasting, wasting your time, and you're doing it all wrong. And if you would just focus on your tithers and your building, I think you guys would be a little bit more successful. And so that was just my tip for you. Now, I'm not going to tell you what I said. Because it was my day off, so it doesn't count. Uh, but I did, I did make a gift that really explains exactly kind of went down next. And it goes a little bit like, uh, like this. Um, can, can you show that gift for me? Can you show that video? That, that little, oh, come on. No, it was so perfect. It Really? You're not going to show it? Well, that means it was, well, that was God then. Because <laughs> uh, I tell you what, it was pretty good. That was a God-ordained thing. God was like, we're not, not going to let you do this. So anyway, uh, but it, it didn't go down great. Now look, 
Was that my wife's fault? <laughs> Absolutely. But anyway, the point is, no, actually I did. We, we, had a little, we had a little thing, but I did tell her, I said, look, I decided what I decided, okay? I decided to call him back, so that was my decision. I said, Kate, this is not your fault. You didn't know, you didn't see this coming. But I, I knew what was coming. I mean, my, I should have listened to my voice, right? I should have listened because I knew, I knew exactly what was going to happen because, I mean, I've seen this happen to my dad. I've, I've had it happen to me before. There were just little red flags. But sometimes that's what happened. Sometimes what doesn't bother you, what, what does bother you, it doesn't bother anybody else. But you can't push through that tension. You've got to listen to that tension. But then the other thing that sometimes happens is this. Sometimes what doesn't bother you, it does bother somebody else. Go ahead and put that on there. What doesn't bother you, it it does bother somebody else. You ever had that happen? Where you're like, this is great. This is perfect. I mean, what could go wrong? Everything's lining up. This seems to be what God wants me to do. And then, and then somebody was like, really? I don't know. Have you thought about tension? Ha- have you considered tension? Well, what about tension? Can you afford that? Tension. Really? Tension. And you've not, we've all had our parents do that before, right? I mean, you remember when you get to be an adult and you think you got big boy pants on and you tell your parents what you're going to do and you're so ecstatic because you think it's just the wisest decision you've ever made. And your parents are like, I don't know about that. I mean, it's, it's very deflating, right? But you've had a friend do that. You've had your spouse do that. And I mean, when that happens, when, when something doesn't bother you and it does bother somebody else, I mean, you just, you want to, you want to really ignore what they just told you, right? I mean, we've all done that before. We've all had somebody kind of try to inject tension into us, tried to get us to have a red flag moment, tried to get us to pause for just a second, think about this, and what have we done? Well, we've, we've discredited them, Right? I mean, the truth is this, is we all, we all have a tendency to dodge the truth by discounting the truth teller. Sometimes people feel attention for us, and we discount them. We dodge the truth, and we discount the truth teller. We say things like, oh, what do they know? They've never ran a business before. Oh, well, what do they know? They're not a parent. Well, what do they know? They're a woman. Well, what do they know? They're a man. Well, what does he know? He's never been in my shoes. I mean, come on, you've done it to your parents, you've done it to your friends. Hey, can we be honest for a minute? You've done it to me in my sermons before. I mean, you've heard something that I've set up here, and you've disagreed with me. You've disagreed with the tension that I've tried to inject into your truth, and you've said, what does that preacher boy know? Right? He's only 33 years old. What, what What do they know? What does he know? What does anybody know? We all have a tendency to dodge the truth. Because we discount the truth teller. Because the truth is, is that we don't want to hear what they have to say. And you know what this is called? Psychologists, they call it this. Psychologists call this the fallacy uh, or of, of origin, a genetic fallacy. And what it means is since I don't like where the information come fr- comes from, I'm just going to ignore the information. And we all do that. So there's a lot of different ways that this goes, guys. There's times where we feel this tension that deserves our attention, but we're in a hurry, so we push through it. There's other times where we have attention, but nobody else has attention, so we just ignore it, and we push through. And then there's other times where we don't have attention, but somebody tries to inject some tension into our life, and we ignore it anyway. And many times, we end up making mistakes and end up making the wrong decision, and we end up with regrets. So, here's my advice to you. Let what bothers you 
bother you. Live in that for just a moment. Hit the pause button. Wait and listen and trust. And to talk about this and what this really looks like, I want to talk about David. Many of you know the story of David. There's different chapters and different parts of David's story, but you know about how David became King David. You know about David and Goliath. What you may not know, though, is that in the mix of all these things that happened before and after and all the Bible stories and all the little cartoons and stuff, what happened was is very early on when David was a boy, there was a prophet that came to his house and said, this boy will be king. It was prophesied very early. David will be king of the Israelites. David will be this great and, and awesome king, and he will defeat all of his enemies. And so David lived with that prophecy on his back and on his shoulders for a very, very long time. And then, you know, came the story of David and Goliath, where David he beat the Philistine, and he beat Goliath, and he chopped Goliath's head off. And at that moment, David became this hero. He became this war king. He had this legend, right? This is a legend that we all know, whether you grew up in church or not. And so David and Goliath kind of really changes things, and the king at the time, King Saul, I mean, he basically takes David under his wing, almost nearly adopts him, makes him a part of everything, and makes him a, a, a part of this kingdom. But very quickly what happens is, is David becomes so popular, such a legend, that he begins to threaten the throne of Saul. And so guess what? King Saul decides, I'm just going to kill David. So he decides he's going to kill David, and David ends up escaping. He goes into the desert of En Gedi, and he's in the desert, and he's joined by all these other riffraffs, all these other people on the run. I mean, people flock to David because they love David. They love the legend of David. He's a war hero. He's a legend. And so they go to David. And so David is out, and he's hiding in the desert from King Saul with about a couple hundred people, right? He's got his own little tribe of merry men. And he's hiding out in the desert. And King Saul, he gets some intel about where David is. And he decides, I'm going to take an army and I'm going to end this now. King David is, ne David is never going to take my throne and become King David. I will always be the king. And so King Saul, he gets together 3,000 men, which is a huge army to take out a couple hundred people, right? And so he gets 3,000 people in this caravan, and he goes out into this desert to find David. And on his way, he's navigating through the hills and the terrain of the Engedi Desert, and he ends up in this spot, and he ends up having to go to the bathroom. Okay? This is people, this is how we know the Bible's true. People pooped in the Bible, okay? And so King Saul is on his way in a caravan and he he's gotta go poo-poo, okay? And so King Day or King Saul, he gets off of his gets off of his mule and he sees a cave and he goes, guys, I'm gonna go pop a squat for a minute and everybody stay here. And so his three thousand men are right there, and King Saul, he goes into this cave, he takes off his armor, he takes off his tunic, he pulls down his diaper, and he's he's about to go poo-poo caca, okay? And, and he, he's going to do it. And so as he's squatting now, remember now, he just, it was bright outside. I mean, you've seen desert, right? It's bright outside. It's so bright. And he walks into this cave, and I mean, it just had to have been pitch black. He can't see anything. And he takes everything off, and he pops a squat, and he goes down. And what he doesn't know is that about 100 feet behind him is King David and all of his merry men, See, what had happened was, is that David had gotten intel that Saul was coming to get him. And so what they did was, is they all scattered and hid in different caves, and were going to wait for Saul and his 3,000 men to pass the caves, and then they were going to come out of the caves and go in the opposite direction, and avoiding them. But what just so happened was, total coincidence, 
King Saul had to go poo-poo. And he ends up poo-pooing in the very cave that David is in. Now, think about this for a minute. This is like perfect. I mean, they're in the back of the cave, and they can see King Saul coming in, right? They see King Saul coming in, and they're like, oh, my goodness, he found us. How in the world did he find us? I don't know. How am I going to say, shh, 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 right? And they probably don't get crowded. Like, everybody hold your breath, right? And then they see him take his clothes off, and they're like, this is the weirdest murder I've ever been a part of. Wait a minute. Do you smell that? Did he break wind? I think he just broke wind. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> hey, I think he's going poop. You think he's I think he's going poop. Oh my gosh, he is. He's going poop. He's going poop right now. And now, I mean, think about this. Think about if you were David in this situation. This is perfect. This is like God-ordained. I mean, this is the best thing that ever could have happened. I mean, they're about to have a civil war. 3,000 men against a couple hundred men. And then all of a sudden, David or, or Saul is sitting there you know, going to the bathroom, relieving himself, going, Who does number two work for? And, I mean, David has this chance to just come up and slit his throat, and it's over. I mean, think about it. I mean, he slits his throat, no casualties, nobody else has to die, and I mean, and he becomes king, and it's over with. I mean, this guy Saul, who has promised to kill him, I mean, it's, it's like, it, it's over. It's over as easy as that. I mean, this must be God-ordained. This must be the will of God, because God, he has delivered Saul right into our very hands in a very awkward predicament. But anyway, nonetheless, God has given us Saul, and it is our time to kill him. His men even said, his men, he turned to David, and this is what he said. He said, this is the day. This is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. I mean, this is exactly what was prophesied. This is exactly what God wanted to happen. I mean, you've got to go for it. Go for it. Take my dagger and slit his throat and be done with it. And so it says this. It says, so David, he crept up unnoticed. So think about this. Saul is still in this position where he's going to the bathroom. And David, he has his dagger in his hand. And he creeps up and he's right over Saul. And think about it. Think about everything that could have been going through his mind. This is perfect. This is the best option. This is, this is what God wants to do. And as, I mean, we all do this, right? I mean, he, he was thinking to himself this. He was thinking, hey, man, if I kill the king, if I kill the king, I become the king. It's as easy as that. Kill the king, become the king. And you and I, we do that all the time, don't we? I mean, we think things like this, though. I mean, we think things like this. Hey, make more money, make more happy, right? Happy wife, happy life, dream job, be, dream life. I mean, we all do it, right? I mean, you, you guys call me all the time trying to look for some, like, mystical interpretation of stuff. And you're like, Pastor, this is everything that's going on. It's all lining up. And you always say the same thing. You're like, is this, this is God's will. I think this is what God wants me to do. And you know what? So many times we do that because everything lines up. But the thing is, is that a lot of times, even when everything lines up, there's a tension. There's something, though, that just doesn't feel right. And that's exactly what David had. 
David, as he creeps up unnoticed, as he's about to take this dagger and slit Saul's throat, something doesn't feel right. And he goes, wait a minute. I can't do this. This isn't honorable. This isn't right. This isn't the story that, that I want to tell. This isn't, when they tell my legend, I don't want to talk about slitting a man's throat while he's, while he's going to the bathroom. This is terrible. This isn't how, I mean, how, how are they going to put this in the Bible stories and draw this in cartoons, you know? I mean, this just isn't going to be good. I mean, there's, I can't do this. But so many times, even when there is a tension, because everything lines up, because everything seems so per- perfect, and even people, they're encouraging us, right? People are like, this is it. This is what God's always wanted. This is your time. This is what you've got to do. We go through with it. And the reason we go through with it is why? It's believe, we, we believe we can predict the future, right? We think we can predict the future. But the problem is this. Have you ever, have you ever been disappointed? I mean, you think you could predict the future, but... But have you ever been disappointed? Yeah, you have. And do you know what disappointment is? Disappointment is when you predict the future wrong. That's, that's what disappointment is. Disappointment is when you think you know how things are going to go and you end up wrong. And that's exactly what David was worried about. He was worried about though everything seemed perfect, even though everybody was encouraging him, even though everybody was saying, yeah, do it, go with it, he was worried that he could be wrong. And the truth is, is there have been times where you thought you were right and you thought you had predicted the future correctly, and the truth is, is that you ended up being wrong. And that, that is how we end up being disappointed. And so the lesson is, is that sometimes, you know, when everything seems right, Something could be very, very, very wrong. And Samuel, who documented the story of David, he says this. It says, so David, all of a sudden, he was, he was conscience-stricken. He was conscience-stricken. And so you know what he ended up doing? As he was about to slit Saul's throat, he was conscience-stricken. And so he ends up taking Saul's robe and cutting a piece of the robe off, and he went back to his men. And he said this to his men. He went back to his men and he said, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. David said, This is, this is not how my story is going to be told. This is not how my story is going to be written. This isn't right. This isn't honorable. This doesn't make me the hero. I mean, after all, who put Saul on the throne anyway? God did. Who, it can't be my job to take, take this, to take this into my own hand to make things happen. This isn't what God's will is for me. And so David's men, they said, well, then fine, we'll do it. Give us the dagger. And Samuel, it says that he rebuked them. He said, no, you can't do that. I'm telling you, nobody will touch him. I will protect him if I have to. You will not lay a hair, lay a hair on Saul. And so Saul finished, and he put everything back on, and he walked out of the cave completely unharmed. And as he got on his mule and began to run away, David came out of the cave, and he said, Saul, hey, and everybody's head turned, you know. I mean, they were looking for this man, man in the middle of the desert, totally unexpected. They didn't think that he was there yet. And then all of a sudden, he, he comes out of this cave that Saul had just 
been in. I mean, you probably thought everybody's mouths must have just dropped. Like, oh my goodness, do you know how close Saul was to just being killed? And David, he, he, he just he speaks with a simple gesture. He takes the piece of robe that he had cut off from Saul's and he raised it up in the air. And all of a sudden, Saul looked back and he saw that that was indeed a piece of his robe that had been cut off. And then everyone understood just how close David got. It was not a mistake. It was an act of mercy. And David, he says to Saul, he says, May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. David was saying to Saul, Saul, I am not going to be like you. I am not going to play your game. And I am not going to take things in my own hands. And I am not going to play God. I'm not going to play this game. And I'm not going to do this. There's something inside of me that knows that this is not the right thing to do. And at the end of this story, I will not become the villain. I am going to be the hero. And so I want to promise you, I will not harm you. And I will not kill you. And I will not come after you. And Saul, he was so discouraged. He was so embarrassed. All of his men, his 3,000 men who witnessed this, were embarrassed for him. Because all of a sudden, David became the better man. Why? Because David had his story in mind. And all of a sudden, Saul was so embarrassed, he looked at David and he even said to David, he said, you're such a better man than me. I will never be anything like you. You are so close to God. And Saul... He puts his head down in shame, and he goes home. He takes his 3,000 men, and he just he goes home. He is so defeated that he, he can't even do battle. And so he goes home, and then a couple months later, he's, he's engaged in war with the Philistines. And do you know what happens? It just so happens that in the middle of this war, there's a Philistine archer behind the infantry line. And the Philistine archer takes an arrow, a random arrow, and just shoots it into the air. Not meant to really hit anybody, just maybe hit somebody, just scare them off a little. And that one random archer who shot that one random arrow, do you know where it landed? It landed perfectly in a seam of King Saul's armor, and it mortally wounded him. Random archer, (laughs) random arrow, random time went through the air and landed perfectly in a seam in his armor and mortally wounded Saul. And Saul knew he was going to die, and he was not going to die at the hands of an arrow from a dirty Philistine. And so he ended up falling on his sword and killing himself. See, sometimes, sometimes what's supposed to happen, what's supposed to happen is just up ahead. See, the, the thing that we all have to, to deal with and the thing we all have to face is sometimes when even things line up and we think it's the will of God, there's still this tension. Sometimes it's a tension that we feel, and sometimes it's a tension that other people feel. And many times when we have all these options and decisions in front of us, we want to take hold of things. We want to make things happen, right? I mean, that's what our culture tells us to do. I mean, to hustle and grind and push forward and never stop and make fast decisions and don't question yourself. Trust your gut. But the truth is is that many times when we push through that tension, that is how we end up with regrets, And you felt that. And you know that. You know that there have been times where you've tried to make things happen and they've just fallen apart quicker. 
But the real, tr- real test, the real thing that is up to all of us, especially as Christ followers, is, is to pay attention to the tension and trust God. To understand the tension, to listen to that tension, and to hit pause and to let what bothers us bother us. And to not take matters into our own hands, to not hustle, to not grind, to not push to make things happen, but instead to trust God and say, I don't know what's going to happen next. But what I do know is that when my story is nothing more than a story to tell, I'm going to be the hero, I'm not going to be the villain. That it really does matter not what I do, but how I do what I do. And it really does matter. It's not about my timing and the timetable that I want things to be done. It really is up to God's timing. And you know what? I trust God's timing more than I trust my own. So I'm going to let what bothers me bother me. I'm going to let the red flag lay there. And I'm going to hit pause. And it's not because my decision is wrong. It's because I, I want to be sure. It's because I don't want to have any regrets. It's because I, I don't want to lose the things that I'm invested in. I don't want to hurt anybody. I, I don't want a bad story when my story is nothing more than a story to tell. And so I'm, I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to trust God. Man, I tell you what, when Bartlesville was pushing me and pushing me and pushing me and pushing me, this was not even on the table yet. And I was getting real tired of being in Nebraska. <laughs> Not because I hate Nebraska, but, I mean, let's be honest, though, it was Nebraska. Um, but, I, I mean, I wanted to push through that. But, I mean, I imagine now, I look at that back now. You know what just happened in Bartlesville? <laughs> what just happened in Bartlesville is they, they got in a squabble because some people, they weren't nominated to be on the church board. And those people who weren't nominated by the nominating committee to be on the church board, they raised a big stink and called the DS in. And the DS told the pastor it would just probably be better politically if he just left and resigned. And that pastor just resigned. I imagine what would have happened if I would have been there right now. I probably would have been in the same boat. And I know I wouldn't have been here. And I know no matter where I would have been, if I wasn't here, I wouldn't get to baptize you all today. I wouldn't have got to know Tim. I, I wouldn't have got to know all you awesome people and, and, and do any of this. I'm so glad I didn't push through that. I'm so glad that I listened to that tension and I paid attention. And in your life right now, I know you have so many decisions. You, you have decisions about you know, getting married, about who you're going to date, about your divorce and dating again, about, about job situations, about creating a family, about when to have kids, about if to have a second kid, about adoption, about fostering. Every single one of us in this room, we could probably go through a tension that we have right now that, that's surrounding a decision that we have to make. And many of us, I mean, we feel pressure to make a decision. I mean, we have people always asking us, so when are you going to have kids? So what are you guys doing? So what are you going to do with your job? Well, you need to make a decision. Well, we, we need to know. And you just you feel like you have somebody poking you in the back. And they don't feel the tension that you feel. And others of us, we are just plowing forward, right? Hustling, grinding. I'm going to make things happen. I'm going to take my life into my own hands. I'm the boss of me. And others are telling us, Maybe you ought to slow down. Maybe just let it breathe. 
I, I'm seeing some red flags. I'm seeing some, some concerns. And you're going, nope, 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 nope. See, every single one of us, it looks a little bit different. But what we all need to learn is we need to listen. And we need to pay attention to the tension. And we need to ask ourselves the questions. Am I being honest with myself? Really? When my life is nothing more to a story than a story to tell, what story do I want to tell? And then this story. Am I paying attention to the tension? Because if you're not paying attention to the tension, you are taking life into your own hands, and you are trying to predict the future. And you know, and I know, every time you try to predict the future, you are a 50-50 chance of being wrong. So, save yourself some regret. Make better decisions and pause. Let what's bothering you, bothering you, and pay attention to the tension and trust God. If you would like to leave a donation, please visit anchoredhope.church forward slash give. If you'd like to speak with someone from Anchored Hope, please visit anchoredhope.church forward slash hi. Thank you for listening and God bless.